Let's try that one more time. Did you come to receive today? Hallelujah. Whose whose choice is that? That's right. It's your choice whether you're going to receive or not. Amen. And I've just learned that, uh, you know, sometimes we say this and it might sound kind of, you know, you've heard us do it a lot, so you kind of almost get religious about it. But, um, you know, if you come to receive, you actually leave with something. Amen. And so I'm believing you're going to leave with something today because I have something that's been stirring in my heart for several months and um, finally got released today to be able to minister it or at least start on this. And then um, I've been wanting to do it for, like I said, the last couple months, uh, but it, uh, uh, I hadn't really had a release to do it. So I guess now we're doing it. So praise the Lord. And so we're going to start today in the book of Acts chapter 10, please. The book of Acts chapter 10. Um, if you will indulge me, um, uh, I feel in my heart that today is going to be more of a teaching uh, uh, time, so uh, I, I might have a lot of places that we'll go to, but the idea is to hopefully we can bring some things out line upon line, precept upon precept, that we can leave this place knowing we've heard something, amen? I always have a lot of fun, I enjoy preaching, but sometimes there's a uh, an anointing to do a teaching, and so that's what I feel like we're doing today. And uh, are you good with that? Yeah. All right. And so uh, the book of Acts, in chapter 10, uh, this is uh, in context, it's Peter uh, ministering uh, with Cornelius' household, and he makes a statement in the midst of his preaching, and he just says this in verse 38, how God anointed Jesus... Okay, burden-removing, yoke-destroying power there, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. How do everybody say power? Power. Okay, power, praise God, uh, who went about doing good. Now, how many know that's what he does? Look at your neighbor say, he's good. He's good all the time. Hallelujah. I said, now he's good all the time. All right, Uh, so... With the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and what? Healing Healing all. And that word healing, of course, it means just that. Okay, bringing wholeness. Actually, the word refers to bringing wholeness into any situation here. Okay, and healing all who were oppressed by who? By the devil. Okay, Uh, for God was with him. Okay, with with Jesus. Okay, so uh, we see, uh, you know, couple individuals mentioned here. We see, of course, uh, well, maybe we could say three because you got, you got God the Father, you have Jesus, amen, and you got the enemy, okay, the devil, all right? Are you with me? Now, who's doing the healing? Who's doing the oppressing? The devil, okay? Well, you got to get that clear. Jesus don't oppress, and I guarantee you the devil ain't really healing. He might deceive some folks into certain things, but I'm just telling you, he's, the devil is not the, is not the healer, uh, but, but Jesus is the healer. Amen. Now hang on to that. We'll come back to it in a minute here. Go to the Gospel of John. Praise God. Are you doing okay? Yep. Amen. If you, if, you know the, if you know the difference, amen, then it, it eliminates a lot of confusion. It eliminates a lot of problems, um, you know, that can be. Uh, there's a lot of question marks that get answered if you just get some things, get the answers, the, the straight, I mean, of what, what, what's what, who's who, 
You get that, a lot of your question marks just go away. You with me? All right. John 10, verse 10. Now the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now this is Jesus talking here. He said, but I came uh, that they may have life, okay, and that they may have it more abundantly. Okay, referred to abundant life here. All right, now obviously the devil comes to, to hinder, to take and ruin life any way that he can. Okay, now who's the thief? Okay, what's he do? Steals, he kills, he destroys. So anything that's going to be, and we could take a little time if we wanted to and just kind of define all those things. And I guarantee you, none of them are what you want. Okay, so stealing, killing, destroying, that's what the enemy does. Jesus said, I came, right, that you, you might have life, right, and that you might have it more abundantly. All right, now um, let's just do, work through The Passion Translation says it this way. It says, a thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. He said, but I've come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until it overflows. Amen. So the thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I've come, Jesus talking, to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. Now, that's the passion, uh, the tail end of this. The message brings it out. Uh, so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed. Um, Amplified says that they may have life and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. The New Living says it this way, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now everybody say, choose life. life. Okay, now that's always been the, the case. I mean, since... You know, back in Deuteronomy 30, it brings it out. Amen. Choose life that you and your descendants may live. Now, it's your choice. It's always your choice. Now, when you lay out the blessing and the curse, anybody in their right mind is going to say the blessing. So you may mentally agree with something, but choice is beyond just, a, just an agreement. Okay? There, there's an action that follows that kind of thing. Are you still with me? All right. So let's define a little bit here this verse 10. It says, uh, that they may have life. That word life is zoe, zoe life, okay, uh, is a Greek word, and it means absolute life or pure life. And then when you kind of look at what that means, it means absence of death, darkness, and the curse. So anytime we're talking about the absolute life, zoe life, what Jesus is talking about, I came to give you life, which is absent from death, darkness, and the curse. So he refers to it as an abundant life. Paul referred to it as the life of God, which is probably going to come up here before we're too long here. All right, but he says abundantly, okay? Everybody say abundantly. Everybody say choose life. Okay, you still with me? Okay. So abundantly, okay, means exceedingly beyond or super abundant, superior in quality, and it also refers to the advantage. Now, that's, that's, it's necessary to understand because you want the advantage. Okay, so he says if you will choose life, then you're automatically going to have the, have the advantage. Second Corinthians, uh, I'm kind of jumping ahead here, but I think I'm going to do it anyway. Second Corinthians 2 and verse 11, it says, Lest Satan, now of course, he's in, there's some other things being said in this context, 
But he said, lest Satan, now who? Satan, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, the whole thing context is referring to, now devices, of course, is, is primarily dealing with, with head games, mental trip, because that's really what the enemy does. His primary game is head trips, mental attack. Are you hearing me? Deception, all that deals in that realm. If he can somehow deceive you to buy into a lie or to walk down a certain road, you see what I'm saying? So that's his, that's his game. But it says here that if, if you're ignorant of the devices, he automatically has the advantage. Now, what God's trying to do is he doesn't want the enemy to have the advantage when it comes time to your life. He wants you to have the advantage. So he says if you will receive that abundant life, you're automatically going to have the advantage in life. Okay? Still with me? All right. But you have to contend for that abundant life. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Because the enemy, what, he, what the enemy tries to do is uh, sneak in there and seduce and deceive and somehow get you to accept the lower life. In other words, where he has the advantage instead of you having the advantage. All right. So um, I'm going to do this. Um, we all have things that we have to deal with. I don't care who you are in here. Sometimes I word it this way, but it's just I do it loosely. But we all have our demons to deal with. That don't mean everybody's demon-possessed. It just means that we all have this, sometimes the demonic realm, things that happen that have a tendency to overwhelm us at times. And uh, so whether we're talking, you know, some obstacles, struggles, challenges in life, whatever it is, somewhere along the line, sometimes the enemy tries to slither in there and try to overwhelm you. Are you hearing me? Now, we're not making light of it, and this is why I'm saying all this. We're not making light of whatever it is the enemy has, you know, done, okay? But we're also not making excuses for it. And we're not going to sit and condone it or justify it. If the enemy slithers in there to steal, kill, and destroy, it's time to stop it, not put up with it. See, we're conquerors, not copers. Now, I'm talking to the body of Christ, the, 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 you know, the people of the world, they, they don't have a clue. People of the world act a certain way, think a certain way, believe a certain way, talk a certain way, and we could get all mad and upset with them, but that's just, that's them. Outside of God, that's what you do. But when here, we're people of the house of God, the people of God, the family of God, the kingdom of God, come on, somebody, we should be thinking different, acting different. Talking different, believing different, receiving different. Are you still with me? So the reason I'm saying that is because based on everything that goes on in our life, it determines how we hear things or see things. Sometimes I just, the best way I can say is that we have this filter system that's within that, that how we see things and hear things goes through that filter system and then determines you know, how we respond, react, follow through, whether we get sad, mad, glad, depressed, whatever. Are you with me? And it comes through that filter system. So the reason I'm bringing it up is because we're going to touch on a couple things today that if, you know, you just got to say today, you know what, I'm here to learn. 
Your pastor's not up here trying to condemn or beat anybody up, okay? But I will say this, that that filter system is based on some primarily three things, okay? Past experiences, okay, current pressures, and future fears. Because most fears are based on something, primarily something that is yet to come. Are you with me? Now, not all of it, but most of it, because it deals with, you know, negative expectations, evil expectations of something. It could be something that happened in the past that you're, you know, that fear that it might happen again or not happen again or something might be there, but it's still something to the future. Are you with me? Okay. So that filter system is based on this. Every one of us has one. Okay. Now, the idea is to renew our minds to make sure our filter system lines up with with what he says, not based on past experiences, current pressures, and future fears. Am I boring you? All right. Now, you have to, you have to understand because, see, everything you start hearing about, you know, God is good and good all the time, but if some, what if you had a bad experience back here? Or what if you're under some a current pressure right now? And what comes to your mind is not that, yeah, amen, God's good. What comes to your mind is, yeah, well, you just don't know what I'm going through. If God was so good, how come this and how come that? Hey, hey, whoa, whoa, breaks. Because you got an enemy. See, that's why we're here today. Because there's a lot of things that get blamed on, gets blamed on God that wasn't God. All right? But if you don't know any different than what you go on, you just assume everything that happens is a God doing. Now, you still love your pastor? I'll ask you that, you know. Maybe it's my own insecurities springing up. I don't know. My future fears. I don't want you to, you know, be upset. I want you to learn something here. Okay, now, look, now get this. All right, look at your neighbor and say, choose life. Okay, um, I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna do this. All right, um, different different names of Satan. A lot of times we do the different names of, of our Lord or different names of, of God. You know, his redemptive names, all that kind of stuff. But how about the different names of, of the enemy? Okay, are you with me? Okay, uh, one of his names is Lucifer. Now you know that's only in the scriptures once. I thought it was in there a bunch more. But it, Lucifer is, uh, is the name used in Isaiah 14, okay? And, of course, prophesying about, you know, things that we're in now. But he's, his name was Lucifer, so we know that. The name we've seen already, and you're going to see it throughout a little bit more today, his name's Satan. Now, listen, we're not magnifying the enemy. We're just trying to make you not ignorant. Because if you're not ignorant of the enemy, he can't have the advantage over you. Okay, now... Satan, uh, the name Satan uh, is primarily, it's 35 times mentioned in the New Testament. And about half those times it's in the Gospels. Okay, a lot of times Jesus uses that and talks it. It's actually also in the, in the Old Covenant about a dozen times, and almost all of it is in the book of Job, which ought to tell you something. But anyway, that's another sermon. The word devil, the name devil is in the New Testament over a hundred times, and three-fourths of that time it's in the Gospels. Again, being discussed, being brought to the light. Now, why are we talking that? Because Jesus brought all this to the light. Okay? 
The Word says that the veil's taken away in Christ. Because the Old Covenant, it literally says in 2 Corinthians 3, that the reading of the Old Covenant, there's a veil over your face. It didn't say that the Old Covenant's done away with. It didn't say reject it. It didn't say rip it out of your Bible and throw it away. It just says that when you read the Old Testament, there's a veil because you don't see clearly. But when Christ came along, all of a sudden it makes everything different. Now, several things obviously were made clear. One of those things is who's good and who's bad? Who's our enemy? And it ain't God. The disciples said, let's call fire down on this city. Yeah, let's see it. Let's do it. He said, you don't even know what spirit you're of. Where did you come up with that? Well, somebody that has a veil thinks it's okay. Are you with me? Now, I'm kind of dived a little deep there, but can you, can you pull back up? All right. All right. The name thief, which we just read there in John. 15 times mentioned in the New Testament, and again, half the time it's mentioned in the, in the Gospels. He's referred to as the enemy, as we saw there in John 10. He's also referred to as the taker of life. He's referred to as the devourer. Now, there ain't none of these, good, none of these names good. He's referred to as the adversary in 1 Peter 5. He's referred to as the oppressor, Acts 10. Some of these are going to come up here. The father of lies. Everybody say father of lies. Father of lies. Okay. In, in John 8, he's a deceiver. Multiple times we see him, things mentioned, showing him as a deceiver. Even one time referred to as the angel of light, which just re, is referring about the fact how he tries to deceive and make himself look like something he's not. He's the accuser of the brethren. So anytime you get caught up in that, guess who's, who's authoring it? He's the ruler of this world. Talking about the systems of this world, he's the ruler of it. He, he's the one that, that really empowered. He's the one that drives it. He's the one that feeds it. Are you with me? He's also referred to as the God of this age in 2 Corinthians 4, the one that comes to blind the minds of God's people. He's referred to several times as the tempter. He's the tempter, not God. And the word warns you about saying God's doing it. Literally says, do not say this. But people do it all the time. Okay. Now, we say all this here not to bring any kind of fear in anybody about the enemy. Understand that the enemy is a fallen, created being that has been stripped of his authority. But he sure knows how to deceive. He's a liar and a manipulator. And he's pretty good at it. If you think you're going to go toe-to-toe with the enemy concerning a mental battle... I guarantee he's going to win every time. You've got to have to lean on God to keep you empowered and keep your head right, your heart right, and your mouth right. Is anybody hearing me? Are you still with me? Are you glad you came out on a Sunday morning? Back to Acts 10, please. Acts 10. Let's look at this now. Acts 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good. And healing all who were oppressed by the devil. So who had the upper hand here? Jesus did, right? He's the one that, amen, that did good, healing all who, even what those that were, past tense, being oppressed. All right? So he comes along and changes it. Okay? The word oppressed here, 
It means uh, to exercise dominion against. Okay, so in other words, it's showing here where when he's trying to oppress you, what he's trying to do is exercise dominion over you. Are you hearing me? Okay, the word oppressed in itself will, be, will mean things like weighed down, overwhelmed, to, kept, to be kept under. So what the enemy, when he comes in and tries to oppress, he's trying to put you under. He's trying to rise up and he's trying to, he's trying to somehow deceive you into thinking he has the upper hand or authority over you. Now I'm just telling you this, if you think God's the one doing it, he already has the upper hand on you. Okay, if you think God's your problem, he already has the upper hand on you. The devil does, I mean, yeah. You hearing that? Still with me? Okay. So you came to receive, you came to hear, you came to learn, right? All right, praise the Lord. All right, 1 John 3, let's, let's, let's fly through a few of these, amen. 1 John 3, 8, go ahead and put that up. It says, he who sins is, is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Of course, there's a lot more things being said through here, but he makes this statement. He says, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So when Jesus came along, what did Jesus come to do? What did Jesus come to do? Listen, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to play patty cake. I'm just trying to, listen, you got to settle this. God is good, good all the time. Devil's bad, bad all the time. One came to destroy his works. His name was Jesus. Now, Adam, won. Adam in the beginning, in the garden, submitted his authority over to the enemy when he yielded to temptation. The enemy took that, ran with it. Till one came, his name was Jesus, amen, and began to show the world, praise God, that God is greater, God is bigger, God is good, and good all the time. Began to bring healing and deliverance, amen, and then, praise God, paid a price for you and me, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, praise God, sent the Holy Ghost, sent power, and he said, the same works that I do shall you do also, praise God. Hebrews 2, verse 14 and 15, says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had, past tense, the power of death. That is, just in case you don't know who we're talking about, that is the devil. Verse 15, And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Because that's what the enemy wants. He wants to put you under bondage. He wants to exercise authority over you. But he doesn't have it. Unless he deceives you into thinking he does. Okay. Romans 16 and 20. You doing okay? We'll try to cruise through a little bit of this. Romans 16 and 20 says, And the God of peace okay, will crush Satan under... Whose feet? Our feet. Your feet. Shortly, which means speedily. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Now, under your feet, referring to the reason it says that way is because it's dealing with the place of authority and dominion. He's saying the enemy is under your feet. You're not under his feet. He's under your feet. Luke 10, 19 Jesus talking to the disciples, amen, which, by the way, any other disciples in the house today? Yeah, sent them out to go, you know, 
make disciples of all nations. That's you and me. Behold, he said in the context. Now, of course, in, in context, they were, they were all excited about all the signs, wonders, and miracles that were happening even through their hands. And he said that he saw Satan fall like lightning, praise God. And then he said this, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all, over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now we know he's talking about authority over the enemy. He's talking about the power of the enemy. He says, you have authority over all of it, praise God. Okay, what's that defined? The word authority is exousia, which means force or capacity, but it refers to a delegated influence, a delegated jurisdiction, or a delegated uh, authorization. So you've been delegated authority. Still with me? Hallelujah. Over all the power, okay, of the enemy. Of course, talking about force or ability or deeds or might, strength, whatever. But the word is very clear that you have been given authority over it. We have an enemy. But we have a great God. And greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. That's not just something we sing about. That's something we trust in and we believe in. Because you have authority. Just real quick, a couple uh, references. Colossians 1 and 13 says, He has, past tense, delivered us from the power of darkness. The book of Acts in chapter 26, talking to, it's Paul talking about the commission that God gave him was to go open the eyes of the, of the Gentiles so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. So we have authority over all the power of the enemy. Look at your neighbor and say, you got power. And you got authority. Still with me? A lot of movement going on in here, so I'm sure I'm making a bunch of you nervous. But chill out. It's going to be okay. All right? All right. Matthew 28, please. Now, as part of the Great Commission, we're going to see a couple of the references of it. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you're going to get this. All right, verse 18 of Matthew 28, it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, talking to the disciples here. All authority, exousia, here it is, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, in other words, I'm handing it to you. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. Teach them what I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, how many know that's the Great Commission? Now, when we're talking about soul winning, nobody has a problem with it. But when we talk about authority over the enemy, some people get nervous about it. So, the book of Mark, let's look at the Mark's account, chapter 16. I told you we're going to be kind of more, a lot more verses, all right? Okay. Mark 16 is still part of this Great Commission. And we'll go to like verse, uh, I think I just told him back there, 15. We'll start there. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Everybody say great commission. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Anybody have a problem with that? Nope. Okay. He who does not believe will be condemned. In other words, it's your choice. Anybody have a problem with that? 
Okay, then he said, these signs will follow those who believe. Any believers in the house today? The first thing it mentions, in my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. Even if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. Now, he's not saying go out there and play with snakes. He just says you have authority over it. When Paul shook off that serpent, he took authority over it. Okay? It by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Okay? Of course, it goes on. This is great. All right? And so then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them, working with them, and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Now, First thing he mentions with the signs are going to follow, he says, in, in his name. So when you're going in the name of Jesus, we're not telling you to do this in your own power. We're saying do it in his power. But you've been empowered to do this in him. So he says the first thing you're going to do is take authority over the demonic realm. Stop letting it beat you. Now, everything we're talking about here is not complicated. It is a simple thing, but you're going to have to learn to take a few minutes every day or even sometimes a few minutes throughout the course of your day and resist your enemy. Don't let the enemy steal, kill, and destroy. Take authority over it. All right. Revelations 1.18. Turn there. I am he. This is Jesus talking. I am he who lives, uh, was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Of course, obviously after the resurrection, right? He's now talking to, the, to John here, the letters to the churches and everything. And he said, amen, and I have the keys of Hades and of death. Okay, now different translations might have a little different, but so you got to kind of look it up, but it refers to keys, okay, uh, of the unseen and deadly forces. I have keys to the unseen and deadly forces, which is going to come up again, okay, Listen, we live according to the Spirit. We do not live according to the flesh. Now, most of the time when that's talked about, they're just talking about, you know, make sure you live clean, which you should live clean. But that's not primarily what he's talking about. See, the, uns- the, the Spirit's talking about the unseen. The flesh is talking about the natural realm or the seen realm. Most people live according to the seen realm. And that's what hangs them up. We live by the unseen. There's a God who's with you, a God who will never leave you nor forsake you. There's power, hallelujah, in the things of God, in the word of God, in the spirit of God. There's power in the armor of God. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the blood of the Lamb. There's power. But if we're going to live by the natural, you're going to be overwhelmed every time. We've got to live by the unseen. Now, that, that won't cost you anything. So we, he's, he has the keys of Hades and of death or the keys of the unseen and deadly forces. Matthew 16 and 19, Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth and whatever you loose on earth, come on, will be done in the heavens. Which means that you have to take authority and dominion. He's saying, listen, I'm giving you what it takes. Now, God is never going to leave you hanging. He always will empower you. He'll always lead you, always show you. And I'm getting ahead of myself here. But the bottom line is, amen, you still have to do your part. 
You will never conquer what you don't confront. You can't just let the enemy steal and kill and destroy. you got to stand your ground in the authority that you have in Christ. Greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm a world overcomer. I'm led in all triumph. I have the victory in Christ. Amen. Why does he tell us these things? Because it's true. You have to confront. You have to be the one to bind and loose. You have to be the one to resist your enemy. I don't, I'm not going to go to these, but uh, Leviticus brings out, you will chase your enemies, and you shall, and they, pardon me, and they shall fall before you. Deuteronomy says, uh, they shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Psalms 91 says, a thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand. Come on, somebody. The bottom line is, somewhere along the line, we've got to recognize you always got to face your enemy. God never told his people, tuck tail and run. He said, face your enemies. Even when the praisers were going out, they still had to all face their enemy. Pastor, this makes me nervous. Listen, you ought to be nervous by just letting the enemy steal all the time. Now, I told you it's all going to be based on your filter system. So what kind of filter system you got today? Are you still doing all right? James 4. Verse 7. Therefore, submit to God. Now, there's more obviously being said, which we'll bring out at another time here. But it says this. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, I'm telling you right now, if you're mad at God for something, what you've just done is submitted yourself to the enemy and you're resisting God. Now, the word's very clear. Romans 8 brings out very clear that you can resist God real easy. Just with a wrong mindset, you can literally oppose God, resist God, fight with God. Okay? So, purpose in your heart, amen, that we're going to do what it says here. We're going to submit ourselves to God. And we're going to resist the enemy. All right? All right. Now, I say this pretty much every time I read this. I might as well do it again today. There's two things God will not do for you. He will not receive for you. He will not resist for you. Now, he'll help you in both those things. But you have to be the one to use your faith to receive. Amen. And in this text, we could even say receiving what he leads. Amen. And you also have to use your faith to resist your enemy. Now, again, he will empower you, as we're going to find out through the Scriptures. Amen. He will empower you to do it. He'll show you how to do it. All right. But you're going to have to be willing to do it. All right. Now, we don't want to reverse this, as I said a minute ago, where you're, where you're submitting to the enemy and resisting God. Nobody wants to be guilty of that, all right? I said nobody wants to be guilty of that, all right? Now, here's another thing, okay? This is what happens a lot of times. Well, I'll just say it this way. Most Christians do not even pray. It's truth. Most Christians don't even take the time to pray, unless maybe it's here at church when somebody, uh, you know, Pray something, they may say amen with them, or they may pray over their food, or maybe pray, you know, now I lay me down to sleep prayer with their kids or some kind of thing. But for the most part, most, most people do not pray.
And then those, there's a big group of them that do pray that are, are, are begging God to resist the enemy for them. So what happens is we don't get the breakthroughs, the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the things that are coming to you. You don't see them because you're trying to get God to do what you're called to do. Now, I'm believing in this house, you've been around us enough to know that you should pray. That was so weak. Don't make a liar of me. I believe in this house, most of you pray. Thank you. All right. But what happens a lot of times then, there's a good-sized group that then once God, God, get the devil off my back. God, get the devil out of my business. God, get the devil uh, to stop doing what he's doing. Okay? But you're called to do that. Now, he'll empower you to do it, but you're called to do it. That's why it says first, submit to God. Right? Then resist the devil. And the promise is he will flee from you. That's a good promise. You know it works? It works every time. Okay? So let's define a few things. The word submit is a word that means to be subject to, reflexively. It's talking about reflective, no, but it refers to, you know, whatever is the leading, the bidding, whatever you yield to it, and it means to be under obedience. So in other words, as the Spirit of God leads, we follow. So that's what it means to be submitted so you could say you're submitted to God all day long, but if you never follow anything He leads, then you're not really submitted. Are you still with me? Again, no offense. We're not. We're just, it's just the facts. If 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 God's trying to lead you and you just won't lead, you won't follow, then you're not really submitted to Him. Okay, come on now. Let, we want to grow up, right? We don't want to get. We don't want the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy, right? Right. Thank you. All right. So. Okay, so it means, praise God, a place of, or to be under obedience. Obedience to what? Well, somebody said, well, his word. Well, okay, but, but primarily he's dealing with the fact, you know, in context, talking about causing you to rise up in a place of dominion and authority over your enemy. So he's talking about here leading you in a place of dominion and authority. Now, we have references through that all through Scripture, all right? We can even say the model prayer for one, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What is he talking about? Leading us. He wants to lead you. If you'll let him lead, you won't fall to the enemy's traps. That's what it means. Okay? Psalms 91, the, the great uh, powerful psalm of, of protection, talks about coming into that secret place. And the whole idea is that it goes on to say so that you, there's that intimacy, there's that, that communication that goes on. Praise God. Remember, prayer is about, about communion and about uh, dominion. Okay, so but it starts with communion with God. And so then it goes on to say, and he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler, which means the traps that are laid. There are traps laid that the Christian should never fall in because the God was, is going to steer you clear of all that. But you got to yield to it and submit to it. Pastor, you just sound so, you're just making this so complicated. It ain't complicated. There's nothing hard about it. We're just so accustomed to letting the, anything happen. Right. We're so accustomed to getting mowed over. We cope. And now the pastor says, oh, now i got to have to resist the devil. Oh, my God. Listen, resisting the devil could be the easiest thing. It's a lot easier than losing stuff. 
and being overcome and being, being uh, you know, seeing death and all kinds of doom and gloom and destruction. When you're, when you're called to be above it, he came to give you abundant life. Listen, some, somebody said, well, you know, that's really just talking about heaven. No, it isn't. It's in this life. God wants you to experience abundant life in every area of your life. And I said, I'm just going to preach or, or teach and not preach, right? Jesus made it real clear. We, uh, references, it could be several, but there's, John 5 has a couple of them. And he, says, he said, I can't of myself do nothing. This is what Jesus said. I can't of myself do nothing. But as I see, I do. And as I hear, I say. Now, how many other traps were laid out there for Jesus? Have you ever, <laughs> just go through the Gospels, see how many times they laid traps for him. All the things that he did, and every single time he knew exactly what to say, he knew exactly where to go, he knew exactly when to stop, he knew exactly, literally, they're going to push him off a cliff, and he just stops, he goes, turns. All the crowd pushing him. But he knew in his heart, okay, I think we're done here, that's, that's a cool view. Turn, walk right through him. Not even, nobody could stop him. Why? Because you have a God that's leading. A God who's leading. John 10 says this earlier in that chapter. Uh, it says, his sheep hear his voice and he calls his own, calls his own sheep by name, which makes it personal, and leads them out. John 10 makes it real clear. We're talking about the one where he said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life. But here it is. This is what leads up to it. My sheep know my voice. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep follow my voice. And the voice of a stranger they will not follow because he's deceptive. Now, the voice of a stranger just means the voice of another. Look at your neighbor and say, let's follow God. So now you go back to this thing about submitting to God. It's talking about somebody hearing from heaven. Now somebody says, well, Pastor, I don't, I don't know how to do that. Well, it's a good thing you can. I'll tell you the biggest way to do this is just learn how to be a little still once in a while. Amen. See, if, if oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. It'll come. All right. The word resist. Are you still, I'm in James 4 still. Still with me? Okay. James 4, uh, verse 7 again. And it just says this, the word resist, okay, means to stand against or to oppose. So if we're talking about resist the devil and he will flee, you have to oppose him. You've got to withstand him. It means to counter or endure, but it refers to a thing of, of consistency or constancy because, listen, child of God, there is no resistance without continuance. There is no resistance without endurance. You can't re resist the enemy one time and think it's done for the week or done for the month. We're talking about something that every day learn how to resist your enemy. And it literally only takes minutes. Once you learn your place of authority and dominion, it just takes minutes. And you can turn the tide on something bad and make things right. And not give the enemy place. And it says then he will flee in stark terror is what that word means. He will flee to vanish, to run off in stark terror is what it means. And it says from, from you, which means off of you or away from you. 
It means something that was near but now has been separated, departure, completion, reversal, whatever it takes. The bottom line is if we will resist the enemy like we've been given authority to do, the enemy will flee. But if we're too busy saying, I just don't understand why this stuff always happened to me. Why does it always happen? How come God? Why God? Why? I don't understand. How come? I just don't get it. Now listen, you might think I'm picking on you. I'm not picking on you. But that is not how you resist. That's how you submit to the enemy. When something's going on, understand first off, that ain't good. That ain't from God. Back off, devil. I ain't giving in to this. I ain't yielding to this, you lying thing. I bind you in the name of Jesus. I speak the blood of Jesus over this household. I take a stand with the armor of God on. I thank you, Lord God, that the enemy has no place in my household, no place in my life, no place in my babies, no place in my business, no place in my finance. Well, Pastor, that just seems so aggressive. Yes, yes it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Well, that's just not my nature. Really? First Peter 5. We're, just, we're wrapping her down. We're going down. Somebody say, praise the Lord. First Peter 5. Listen, we never tuck tail and run. We always face our enemy. Never tuck tail and run. Okay, verse, uh, well, there's a bunch of good verses, but just how about verse 8 and 9? We'll do this, okay? Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, okay? Which doesn't mean he has to, just that's what he's seeking to do. See, again, we're seeing the deception here. See, he comes like a roaring lion. According to Proverbs, or Psalms, I guess it is Psalms, the book of Psalms, he says that the, the, the teeth of the enemy have been knocked out. So he's a toothless lion or wannabe lion. It goes on, verse 9, say, Resist him, talking about the enemy, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Which means this, you're not alone. See, because sometimes that's the, temp- that's the temptation. We want to say, this stuff, why does it always happen to me? No, you ain't the only one that this hits. Every one of us in here have battles to deal with. Every one of us in here, we may not have your battle, and you may not have my battle. But we got things we got a war against. And all he's saying is this, don't think you're alone in this. Don't think you're the only one that's going through something. See, because what it is, see, it, it pulls you under to become a victim. The enemy wants you to feel like a victim. Yeah, that's it. Feel like a victim. No, you're the victor. And I'm going to say it again. We're not here to make light of anybody's battle. We understand. These things sometimes want to kick you around and sometimes want to, you know, you feel like you're under it. I'm just telling you, this is how you get on top. This is how you get above it. Because it shouldn't be that you're under his feet. You need to have the enemy under your feet. Now, hang on, because this verse uh, 8 again, it says this, be sober, be vigilant, okay? Now, the reason that's important is because the word sober is not just talking about being sober or, you know, from alcohol. 
Are you with me? Now, the word means self-control, but it means this, not under the influence of another. Because what I'm talking about, see, if, if, you're, if you're living according to the flesh or the natural or the seen realm, what happens is you're under the influence of whatever you're seeing or feeling or looking at or hearing. So, well, you, see, we, we can't be under the influence of that. So you got to be watchful. you got to be alert because it's easy to do. It's easy to go, oh, my God, life just stinks. Pretty soon you're under it. Now it's controlling you. You're now under the influence of something the enemy's trying to put on you. And like I said, that's where the mental game is so huge. If you're not ignorant of his devices and the head games he plays, you know, then what happens is you have the advantage instead of him having the advantage. But see, if you're, if you're not aware that you're not staying watchful, see, if you're not staying vigilant about this, what happens, the enemy comes in, and pretty soon you're under it again. And I'm telling you, if you can learn just to rise and say, enough's enough, I refuse to go there. And stand your ground. Listen, this is your family we're talking about. This is your babies. This is your grandkids. This is your business. This is your church. This is your community. Ephesians 6. Oh, man. Oh, my. Oh, my. Ephesians 6. Put on the whole armor of God that you look cool. And that everybody around goes, whoa, that's a set of armor. Why do you have armor? Why is there armor? Why do I have to put this on? Well, because you have an enemy. And it says, against, you can stand... Resist or oppose, come on, against the wiles or the scheming, the plotting, the manipulation is what it means, of the devil. So when you go through the armor of God, and we've done a many a study and did one not even that long ago, I recommend go back and pull it up and watch it, praise God. We went through each piece, but each piece is there for a reason. It's there for you to help you resist your enemy. Every piece of it. Not just so you look cool with some kind of shined up helmet. It's there for a reason. Okay, then he goes on, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Remember, we don't war according to the natural, according to fleshly things, according to the seen realm. A lot of times we read that, we think, okay, my fight's not with you, your fight's not with me. Absolutely, that's accurate. Nothing wrong with that. But he's not just talking about that because, you know, He's even talking about your fight's not with you. Because sometimes that's where you get hung up is the enemy. And that's why part of this armament, the breastplate of righteousness, why is that? Because sometimes you think you're always your problem. Somebody, and I get it. Sometimes we think, well, I'm, a, I'm my worst enemy. Well, you know, sometimes when you yield to things, you might, might seem that way. But you have to understand that even you are not your problem. You have an enemy that's manipulating right now, trying to get you to come under condemnation, guilt, and shame. He'll do anything he can to get you under. He manipulates. 
He lies, he deceives, he accuses. Gets things rolling in the home, strife, contention, dissension, discord. What's he doing? Well, I'm trying to get you under. But if you're, if you're going to be more about, see, if your fight's always with the natural realm, see, you're going you're gonna to have problems. But he, he listen, listen, your fight's not with natural realm. Your fight is with principalities against power. Is anybody reading this? What's all this? Well, these are all just different levels of demonic influence is all it is. And you have authority over all of it. It doesn't matter which one we're talking about. Principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. It doesn't matter what level it is. It's all just levels of influence. But the point, you, point is, is that you have more authority and dominion and more delegated authority over any of that. More. Verse 13. He repeats them. Therefore, because of all that, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand now. That's the same word withstand, the same word as resist the devil. Same exact word. Resist in the evil day. And all that means is day of pressure in an evil time or either evil moment. And having done all to stand, having done all to stand, then the next verse says, stand therefore. Then it starts telling you, put on the armor. Are you with me? Every bit of that is about resistance. Okay? Now, sometimes we, we like to look at the armor. Oh, well, you know, praise the Lord for the armor and, you know, a shiny sword. That short sword ought to be bloodied up. Armor beat up. Come on and whatever. Well, I mean, you at least look like you at least went to fight. But I'm just trying to say sometimes we try to glamorize everything. And we lose sight of the fact it's about resistance. All of it's about resistance. One last verse, Ephesians, still in Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 27. It says, therefore, what, or, 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 nor do we give place to the devil. Okay, now there's a lot being said in this chapter. I love chapter 4 because it's talking about in here, it's really just trying to deal with you about not uh, letting yourself be alienated from the life of God because it's all based right here where the enemy hits you. He's trying to separate you from the life of God. And all that means is a non-participant. Talks about earlier. So he says, he sums it up by saying this, don't give place to the devil. Now, why did he tell you to do that? Thank you. Because you can. It's not that complicated to give the enemy place, okay? But it's not that complicated to resist your enemy. You just got to be willing to do it. You just got to say, it ain't happening here. Sometimes you just say, devil, shut up. I ain't yielding to that, you lying, foul thing. Get out of here, you unclean spirit. Well, what do I call him? Just call him what he is, an unclean spirit. I don't care if he's a principality, a power, a ruler of the darkness of this age, or a spiritual host of wickedness for all I care. He's unclean. Get out of my business. Let's define it, and then I'll let you go. (sighs) Neither give place to the devil. Okay, now get this. To give, that word there means to grant or yield, literally means to submit. To give consent or to give power to. 
The word place is the word topos, which we get topical map. They're talking about a, a location, a ground, looking at something from up. Okay, it means a foothold or an opportunity. So he's saying, listen, refuse to submit to the enemy. Do not yield to the enemy. Pastor, I'm going through this. I know you are. This is, this is weighing on me. I get it. But resist. Resist the enemy. Stop resisting God. Resist the enemy. I refuse to yield to this. What are you doing? You're just starting right now, just starting to resist. you got to start to resist. Now, what we're going to do next week, there's a, at least a dozen ways the Bible talks about just simple things you can do to resist. And it works. But you got to be willing to do it. Because I believe in this house is a people that pray. And in this house is a people that know God is good and good all the time. A people that know the devil's bad and bad all the time. A people that know they have authority and dominion over the enemy. Hallelujah. People, praise God, willing to resist their enemy and not give him place. Amen. And it's simple things, amen, that we'll talk about. Sound good? Are you coming back, though? Okay. It's just simple things. It isn't that complicated. Okay? But you have to take a few minutes and do it. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, choose life. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to watch the video of this message, head over to vimeo.com forward slash WOVictory or go to Jerry Roberts Ministry on Roku. For more information about who we are and what we do here at Order Victory, check out the website at wovictory.org. That's wovictory.org. See you there.